Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church. I want to tell you a bizarre but powerful story about Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So, as most of you know, Abraham had a son named Isaac who bore a son named Jacob. God made incredible promises to these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he vowed to bless them and their families so that through them a nation would be birthed who would bless the entire world. Well, when Jacob was a young man, he got himself in trouble at home. He fled to a distant land, and he came into a business relationship and then a familial relationship with Laban, a very successful um, business person in, in, in the business of raising and breeding livestock, such as sheeps, uh, sheep, goats, and cattle. Well, uh, Jacob ended up becoming the manager of this business, and uh, he was blessed with a sharp mind. He'd been promised to be blessed by God, and the business prospered exponentially under his skillful management. There was a problem, though, and the problem was that Laban was a was a was a dishonest businessman and part of this is that he wasn't sharing the profits with Jacob that Jacob had rightfully earned and there was some conflict about this finally it was resolved by Jacob stating that the way he wanted to share the profit was he wanted to have the right to claim the rarest of the sheep goats and cattle uh, that uh, Laban had in his flocks and herds. And the, the rarest of these animals were animals that were speckled, spotted, and dark-colored. Speckled, spotted, and dark-colored goats and sheep in particular were the rarest of animals. But Jacob said, if you'll just let me have that part of your flock, I'll be satisfied. And they came to an agreement. But Laban, being the dishonest guy that he was, the, that night, during the middle of the night, had some of his men take all of those speckled, spotted, and dark-colored sheep and goats and transfer them a long way away, a three-day trip away from where these flocks and herds were commonly kept. But that did not deter Jacob because he did something that uh, sounds crazy. In fact, it was. And as I'll discuss in a moment, it was a tremendous act of imagination. Jacob took uh, branches off of several different types of trees and he carved into those branches, uh, if you please, speckled and spotted strips where he took the bark away and then he took those branches that he'd carved speckled spotted and rare things in and he put it before the watering troughs so that when the when the sheep and goats and cattle would come to water they would also mate and when they would mate they would see Jacob's imagination articulated into these branches and somehow what they produced, what they brought to life were speckled, spotted, and dark colored sheep and goats in particular, cattle as well, the rarest, the rarest of animals. And Jacob continued to do this until those rare animals were separated from Laban's flock, and Jacob's flock, uh, we're told in Genesis, increased rapidly, and he became very wealthy with many servants, camels, and donkeys. Now, 
one would rightfully ask, why in the world would Jacob have take, taken those branches, carved in them what he imagined, put them in front of the watering troughs, and so on? Why, why would he have done that? Well, later when he explains where he initially got at least the picture of what he saw for his future, he said this. This is Genesis chapter 31, verse 10. He said, one time during the mating season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats mating with the females were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up, for you will see that only the streaked, speckled, and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock, for I have seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. All of a sudden, you see that Jacob got this crazy idea of what was possible for him in a dream that he had received from God. The reason he did this crazy act of imagination is because Jacob had a God-inspired dream, a crazy idea, but it was rooted in a God-dreamed future. Jacob saw a picture of the future that God had promised him. Even though God didn't tell him exactly how to get it done, Jacob took action and imagined in a very creative way, and God met him in that act of imagination and miraculously blessed him. It was the venerable uh, commentator, Matthew Henry, maybe the most famous of all Bible commentators, who wrote about this passage and said that it was by the power of Jacob's imagination that God showed up and worked miracles. All of you watching online uh, can fill the blank in there. It's a really important point. I don't know if those of you who are live here have life notes or not, but I think you can get them online. And this is, this is a, an emphasis point. It was by the power of Jacob's imagination, said Matthew Henry, that God showed up and worked miracles. Jacob articulated into those branches what he pictured for his future. He saw what could be before it actually was. Here's my thesis today, and I'm going to move to our discussion about courage in a few minutes. I believe that when we actively imagine a preferred future in line with God's dreams for us and act accordingly, even if sometimes crazily, that God shows up and miraculously makes those imaginings come true. Now, I don't have time to tell this story. Sometime, hopefully, I will. But the very first message, the very first sermon, the very first talk I ever gave at the Life Christian Church, before it was even called the Life Christian Church, was to a small group of people. I'd say less than 10 people. And I stood in the midst of that group, and I told this story about Jacob, and I took branches, and I carved into those branches while I spoke. And I talked about how that we had to have a picture of the future before it came to pass and how that if we would have that picture and we would hold our imagination up before God and each other, that somehow God would meet us 
and he would help to bring that future to pass. And we, the people of the Life Christian Church, starting with that small group, have been exercising the power of our imagination ever since. We've been carving our dreams into vision statements and mission statements and strategic plans and prayer meetings and prophecies and sermons and so on ever since. And somehow God in his grace has met us time and again in the power of our God-inspired imaginations. See, we need to see a picture of our preferred future in order to bring a preferred future to pass. I've said it, you know, I'm returning to a common theme of my ministry here, our life together here over the last 28 years. I'll say it again. I know it's hot. I know it's a different kind of place to hear a message. I say this to those of you on this warm parking lot, and I say it to all of you beautiful people watching in your air-conditioned homes right now. We need to see a picture of our preferred future in order to bring a preferred future to pass. I don't mean to say that over the years I've always had a crystal clear picture of the future. I haven't. But I've had some sense that God had planned something more, something better. And I've had some idea of what that future looks like. Right now, I know that in many ways we are in a less than reality. I'm referring right now to COVID-19 and uh, its effects on our families and businesses and schools and jobs and more. And what I want to say to you is that we must never passively accept a less than reality, especially if we have a sense that God has promised us more and better. I say that we must always hold in our minds a picture of a better future, and today we, I also want to say that we must continue to articulate the future we see. We must carve it into our prayers and plans and actions. We need to hold up that picture of the future for all to see and to say over and again, this is what I am believing for. And I'm not just talking today about a picture of a future distant and grand. I'm talking in our present reality about next week and next month and by the end of this year. I propose that we do not accept the way things are if they are not in alignment with God's dreams for our lives. So what better reality do you see for your business? Keep articulating that. What better reality do you see for your children this year? Keep articulating that. What better reality do you see for your finances? Keep articulating that. What better reality do you see for our church? Keep articulating that. Remember, God, regardless of present circumstance, has not changed his mind about you. And if you will cooperate with him, he will work to bring your God-dreamed future to pass. Remember, Jacob's imagination was based on this specific idea he had received from God about these streaked, spotted, and speckled animals, but also motivated by prophesied blessings that God had given him earlier in his life at a place called Bethel. While on the, on the run from his past, Jacob spent the night sleeping on the ground in a place called Bethel, and he had a dream that changed him forever. You'll remember it. He saw a stairway to heaven a ladder to heaven and angels going up and down on the ladder. And at the top of the stairway, Genesis 28, 13 says, stood the Lord and he said, 
God said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you were lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, here God says to Jacob, I will protect you wherever you go. I will be with you constantly until I have finished giving you everything I've promised. So Jacob as a young guy gets a message from God that says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to be with you constantly until what I see for your future comes to pass. And so years later when Jacob ends up in this business agreement with Laban and he looks around and he sees that things do not look like what God promised him, Jacob just didn't say, oh well, and crawl up and hide in a fetal position in his bedroom and quarantine himself for a year. Jacob said, I'm still going to take action because I'm not going to be satisfied until what God saw for me actually happens in my life. And my question to both of you who are clapping right now, and I guess the rest of you as well, is have we become content with less rather than more? I tell you that dissatisfaction needs to stir in us if we look at our lives and see something less than what God has imagined for us. You've probably, hopefully, had your own version of a Bethel experience. Specific ideas, speckled, spotted, and rare ideas, new realities to create that seemed almost crazy. If you believe God gave you those thoughts, you must never dare imagine anything less. You must insist on realizing your promised blessings in your destined place. Imagine that great thing. Act accordingly and watch God show up in miracles to bring it to pass. God says to each of us, I want to bless you. I will protect you and I will be with you until what I see for you actually happens. Now, this leads me to my message today. Actually, the last part of my message today. I'll take a few more minutes with it, but just so you guys know, they keep putting clocks out here for me, and in the weather, the clocks shut down, and I, can't, I have no idea. It could be 2 o'clock right now. I'm supposed to look on my Oh, here's one that's working. Oh, I'm in good shape. How's everybody doing out there? You doing all right? So, last week I started this message series that we're in called Encouragement. And I said that over the next four weeks, I'd offer five steps on how to take courage with us to this preferred God-dreamed future. And today I want to offer step one and spend a few minutes around it. It's this. Take courage, step one. Step one is this. See where you are going. See where you are going. In other words, get a picture in your mind of a preferred future and never be satisfied with anything less. So, let's talk about the Apostle Paul here for a moment and move into the New Testament. And last week I told this story about how Paul, towards the end of his ministry career, gets arrested in Jerusalem. A crowd almost physically tears him apart He gets imprisoned uh, by Roman officials. But the following night, Acts 23, verse 11, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take 
courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Take courage, God says, because I have a picture in my mind, and that picture is that you are going to Rome. This would define much of the rest of Paul's life. He had never been to Rome. He now had it in his heart to go to Rome to share the good news about Jesus with, with Caesar and with, with the Roman emperor and with the most influential people in the world. It took him two years from that moment that he had this vision until he actually arrived in Rome. Two years that were full of difficulties. Two years of false imprisonment, unjust trials, shipwrecks, snake bites, all kinds of challenges. So for Paul to get from where he was to where he knew God had called him to do, he had to take courage with him. Again, Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is about facing our fears and moving forward in some way in our lives. To get from where we are to our preferred futures, we're going to have to take courage with us. And a primary key to taking courage with us is knowing where we're going. We have to keep a clear picture of a preferred future in our mind. One of the things that's very interesting in the five chapters from Acts 23 to Acts 28 that detail Paul's journey from God saying, Jesus saying, take courage, I'm going to take you to Rome. One of the interesting things that happens is that several times the apostle Paul had an out. He could have with dignity and integrity, he could have gotten out of this journey to Rome. Uh, a couple of times, he ends up being tried in front of very significant both Roman and Jewish officials, and they saw no reason to hold him and said they would let him go, but Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen, and he said, I appeal to Caesar, I'm going to Rome. This is to say that once he got this picture of his preferred future in his mind, that was option A, and there was no option B. There are a lot of people who like to keep their options open in life. And sometimes in some situations, that's wise. But when it comes to moving toward the future that God's dream for you, you need to have option A and no option B. One of the stories that, that Sharon, my wife, uh, will often tell is that when we first moved here to West Orange 28 plus years ago, um, from the Midwest of our upbringing, about two weeks into our being here, and remember at that time, we were a very small group. We, we didn't have a building. We, we really we didn't have much of anything. The church owned an old van that I sold uh, as quickly as I could because it was falling apart. We, but, but we had a, a sense of calling. We had a vision of the future. We were carving into the branches something crazy that we saw. And we were driving by a cemetery, and I said to her, listen, you can go ahead and buy my grave plot right there because I believe God's called us here, and I am not leaving here until we fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill. Her response to me was, at that time, you can go ahead and buy my grave plot in the Midwest because that's home. Uh, but uh, she's changed her mind about that. It just took a while. What, what, but and here, here's the point about that. When you are set 
on what God's called you to do and you see that picture, that's a key to having courage to face the challenges and difficulties that ultimately happen to keep you from your God-given dreams. You have to know what you've been called to do and you have to stay with it long enough for God to show up and do the kind of things that only God can do. See, this applies as well. You know, marriage is a beautiful example of this. When you stand there and you make that commitment before God to that other person and you say it's until death do we part, there is a only option A reality to that covenant, to that statement. Till death do we part so that when the inevitable challenge and difficulties and conflict and struggles come to a marriage as they do to every marriage, you know in your mind you have a picture of what your life together is going to look like 25 years from now and you keep moving towards that and facing the challenges with courage. This is necessary to get from where we are to where God called us to be. Now one more, one more kind of big thought and then I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Sometimes, and this is a new thought to me, this is a new term to me, we need to learn to speak deferred truth. Deferred truth. Here's what I mean. I've been reading a, a biography of Thomas Edison, written by the Pulitzer Prize winner Edmund Morris. And Edison was a guy who, when he got a picture in his mind of what he wanted to create, in his mind, it was done. It was just a matter of how to bring it into the real world. But in his mind, it was done. It was true to him. Well, he had a, while he was trying to finish, the, 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 perfect the light bulb, he had a guy on his staff, an engineer who was very technical, and he was very gifted, but when he would talk to investors that Edison needed to actually bring his dream true. Here's what Morris said, that this engineer was so obsessed in addressing technological problems that he had to be kept away from investors. Edison tried without success to make him understand the difference between truth and deferred truth. I love it. In other words, in Edison's mind, because he saw it, it was true. In this engineer's mind, it wasn't until he held the physicality in his hand that it was true. Now you have to appreciate both perspectives, right? You have to appreciate both. But for Edison to actually bring into the world what he saw in his mind, he practiced a discipline called deferred truth. In other words, it's, it's real, but it doesn't yet exist. It's true, but it doesn't yet happen. I know it sounds paradoxical, but I encourage you to see your preferred future that way. Pardon the self-reference again today, but I, you know, I've tried to live this over the years. My kids will tell you that I would drive them crazy when they were adolescents and in their teenage years and easy to drive crazy by a, by a dad. But I drive them crazy before we acquired this property, but when I knew in my mind that God had called us to build a great worship and mission center here, 
And this property was, you know, uh, Vizcaya didn't exist. This road didn't exist. Of course, none of this existed. This was a once beautiful farm that had fallen into disrepair. It needed, a, I, I, I think, uh, uh, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars of environmental cleanup and buildings demolished and all kinds of things going on. I won't go into all of that except to say, frankly, it was a little bit of a mess at that time. But when we drive by the property, I'd slow down. This is before we even owned it. I'd slow down and I'd say, what is this place? And I'd point up here, Northfield Avenue. I'm going that way. What is this place, I'd say? Oh, look at that sign. I'd slow way down, even to where somebody behind me might honk their horn, and I'd say, it's the Life Christian Church. What a beautiful building. Let's visit there sometime soon. And my kids had groan and moan. If I did it once, I did it hundreds of times. And I did it over the course of many years that it took us to actually move in this place as our congregation took courage with us to our preferred future. So was it true that the Life Christian Church was headquartered on this property at that time? I don't know. To me it was, we'll call it deferred truth. It existed, I believe, in the mind of God. It existed in my mind. It existed in the minds of a core of people at the Life Christian Church who believed with me and walked towards that future and sacrificed for that future. So was it true? Well, I think time has shown, in fact, it was true. It was just deferred truth. Don't stop seeing a picture of your preferred future and articulating it everywhere you can, even if people think you're crazy. So I leave you with this. Just three quick points and a scripture with it. Three ways to articulate your God dream future. Listen quickly, because I'm going to say it quickly. The first three ways to articulate your God dream future. First of all, see it. See it. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this about God, that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has at work in us. That is at work in us. So first of all, we have to see it. We have to see it. Secondly, say it. Jesus said in Mark 11, if anyone does not doubt in their heart, but, here's what Jesus said, believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So you can't just see it. You have to articulate it. Carve it into your prayers. Carve it into your vision statements. Carve it into your discussions. Believe God for that crazy thing and don't be afraid to say it because Jesus said, whatever you believe when you say it will happen, it will be done for you. And then third, act it. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said, and I I shared this scripture last week. It's one of my favorites. He said, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours. And note these words, guys, every act prompted by your faith, every act prompted by your faith. You know what concerns me so much right now? And I'm finished. 
We're about to do the courage words. You know what? Let me come to the edge of the balcony. I feel like standing up here and saying this. Maybe I shouldn't. It concerns me in the present environment that faith people are turning into fear people. And that's not who we are as followers of Jesus, and that's not who we are at the Life Christian Church. Somehow or another, we have to keep acting in faith in our lives. Now, you have to figure out what that means for you and your reality. We act with wisdom. We act uh, protecting ourselves and others. We act being concerned for people around us in every way. Absolutely, that's part of what we must do as followers of Jesus. But we also figure out a way to act in faith. So in order to articulate your God-preferred future, first of all, see it. Secondly, say it. Thirdly, act it. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will bless everybody who had had the courage to come to this parking lot today and sit in this heat and hear me go on about one of my favorite things, to help people see your dreams for their lives, for their families, for their businesses, for their schools, for their places of employment, to see not the way things are, but the way you've called them to be and to begin to act towards that in faith, taking courage with us. I pray your blessings on us as we move toward your blessings in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.